From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price. Podcast also brought to you by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Lewis is a trained photographer and videographer. Nobody's going to make your house look better when it goes on the market. And he's the guy to talk to if you have any real estate needs in the greater Jacksonville area. Let's get to it. Let's get to this uh, episode. This is part two of my 2023 recruiting class evaluation post National Signing Day, post early signing day, which has become essentially the de facto signing day. Uh, And still a lot to talk about because I haven't really talked about the actual players in in this class and what I what I think of them. And uh, so I've gone through and taken a look at, at whatever I can of these players. And there's a certain amount that without being able to watch full games of, of everyone, there's there's certain limitations that I'm going to have. But I'll still give you what what I think about that about them. And then uh, in the offseason, uh, during the spring or end of the spring, I'm planning on doing a full uh scouting report on all of the players on the Florida state roster, including these new, uh, new guys as well. So there, there'll be more uh, discussion of that. So uh, we're going to start right at the top with the quarterback position, that being Brock Glenn, uh, a guy that they flipped from, from Ohio state, which that, that's generally good. Uh, and also Ohio state's done a pretty good job of recruiting the quarterback position. So uh, those those are positives. If you're just looking at okay, who's offered and you know who do you beat out for that, and I think there's something to that because again, uh, those staffs have had a lot of chance to evaluate. So if if you see a lot of programs after a lot of programs that you trust in terms of evaluation going after a guy, that's usually a good sign. Now I, I want to say up front that while I'm aware generally of whether these guys are three stars, five stars, four stars, or whatever, I really don't care very much on that front. Uh, that's not really a factor in terms of what I think when I when I watch. Uh, that never has really been because I, I very strongly distrust some of the people who are actually doing the evaluation, though certain people are, are better than others at that, and certain sites are, are a little better in terms of which people they have making those decisions. But, uh, but what I do is I... I, I put on the film and I, I go, okay, well, where would I put this guy in terms of how, how I think about where he, where he's situated and, and in what tiers and, and what, what do you expect from him? So uh, that said, I, I, I am aware that Glenn is a three-star prospect, not a four or five-star, which of course everybody gets more excited about those. But like I said, I don't think that matters as much as the individual evaluation on the aggregate, those ratings ultimately do tell uh, do do have pretty strong correlation but on the individual there are a lot of you know individual prospects who are ultimately misdiagnosed for one reason or another so that's where you have to evaluate classes sort of on that aggregate but individually you can you can make those those uh, other determinations so that's that's how I'm going about this so when I when I was looking at uh Glenn's product uh what he what he puts out there First thing that sticks out, and you can look at the first play of his senior huddle uh, to see this, is he's got a strong enough arm, certainly, to play at this level. Uh, the first play of his senior huddle is at a big boy post, uh, uh, an over-the-top post route that he throws flat-footed 60-plus yards, about probably 62, 63 yards on the fly. 
and and hits his spot. So that tells you right there, good enough good enough arm strength to be able to make whatever throw you need to make. So that that's that's definitely a plus, and that's sort of your prerequisite. So you get that out of the way right away, and say, okay, well, you know, now we can go to our other aspects of what makes a quarterback a good prospect. And this is something I actually did a, an article for Inside Carolina on the twenty four seven. Uh, scouting uh, on the 24-7 network uh, on how I scout quarterbacks and what my process is. should summarize a couple of those things here just to, uh, to talk about what, what I'm looking for when I'm, I'm doing this. So I think the, the place to start is where I think certain people who evaluate quarterbacks spend too much time and, and, put too much emphasis. And I, I think actually the first part of those, the first one of those is arm strength and, you know, great arm strength is a nice luxury, but there's really diminishing returns once you're above the requisite threshold to make all the throws on the route tree. So once you can make the the necessary throws, well, okay, that that's good. That's, that's fine. You've, you've cleared the, the necessary low bar. Once you get above that, yeah, it can be a plus if you can, make a 70 yard throw on the run, you know, a la Josh Allen or whatever, if you can pair that with all these other characteristics, but in general, there's, there's diminishing returns on what that gives you. So I I tend to think that, that high school ratings get, uh, over impacted by this in particular, because it's, it's one of the most obvious things when you see a quarterback is, Oh wow, that ball just jumps out of his hand and he's got a howitzer on his, on his shoulder. Well, okay, that's, that's great. But what, what, what else do you see? I think mechanics also are a factor, but I do think that certain aspects of mechanics get overemphasized. I mean, you get uh, basically players dinged on footwork and other things that that stuff can be coached and, and improved on over time, though I do think there are certain mechanical elements that are much harder to coach once you get to this level, given especially 20 hour limits with players. It's harder for players to learn how to throw properly once they get there. So I do look at a couple things in terms of, of mechanics that are at least they've, they've got to be above a certain prerequisite and, and they're yellow flags, at least if they're not sort of as I want to see. So number one is how well does the player generate torque through his core into the throw? So is the sequence properly starting from the front hip and working its way through the arm, like the crack of a whip, or is he throwing all arm and trying to pull down on the ball and that sort of thing? Uh, that, that's, that's something I'm looking at the other. And I think the more important one has to do with extension. And one of the things, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do, I, I wanted to do a video on this during the season, just have not had the chance to do this. Uh, but I want to talk about how extension works as a thrower, because that's going to be connected to how the ball comes off the hand and all of this and hand talent and everything. The best throwers fully extend their arm out toward the target rather than pulling their arm down and across the body. So if you see a quarterback who looks like he's pulling down, that's not good. If you see a quarterback that is extending down the line, almost like the end of a basketball shot, that's much better. Uh, Now the hand, the arm is going to come down naturally just because of gravity over time. So once that extension happens, the arm is going to come down, but it should be just sort of a byproduct of the throw rather than a part of the throwing motion. So that's that's something that I do look at. It's something that 
uh, I would work heavily on in practice in indie drills to to work with the with a player in terms of becoming a better thrower. Uh, so those are things that I look at, but I think in general, a lot of mechanics stuff and especially footwork and that sort of thing gets overemphasized in the, uh, in the high school scouting, uh, area, because again, these are things that are more obvious and it's easier to ding guys for that stuff. Uh, and, and I did see with Brock Glenn, some stuff in the elite 11 footage and so on that I watched where it's like, oh yeah, you know, he, he's too wide in his footwork here. He could... You know, I can see where guys would ding him for this or that, but I'm not worried about that because it's just it's stuff that you fix. It's not a problem. Um, and I do think there is a a degree to which evaluating quarterbacks is more art than science. It's sort of uh, Potter Stewart. I can't define it when I I can't define it, but I know it when I see it in terms of seeing a quality player. But what I'm looking for is first thing. First thing that I'm looking for is demeanor and processing speed, both inside and outside the pocket. So does the quarterback look like he's in a hurry and play under control regardless of what's happening around him? Or does he slow down? Does he look like he's moving at a different speed from everybody else? And, you know, the the outs, the best quarterbacks never look like they're in a hurry. They play under control and they look like a point guard. And this is the this ties into the second thing anticipation is the the really in some ways the number one thing I'm looking for because it ties so closely into that demeanor thing the best quarterbacks are like point guards they see what's going to happen before it happens and they always seem a step ahead of everybody else and you know they're they're throwing guys open and they're throwing into space and putting the ball where guys can run through it that sort of thing uh so am I seeing on tape is a guy throwing before the receiver's open and throwing him to to a proper spot and throwing uh, throwing based on that feel? Or is he picking and popping only after he sees separation? The elite guys, the elite prospects, not only throw before the separation occurs, but they then set it up with their eyes before the throw. So that's another thing. But you don't get to see much of that on, on high school films. So if you do, you go, oh, wow. Uh, and then the third thing is, is general accuracy. Uh, you know, funky release, all sorts of other stuff doesn't matter very much if it's always getting the right spots. You know, I'll take a Phil Rivers. That's fine. Uh, this is a non-negotiable. You have to have a guy who's consistently putting the ball in, in the right spots. And it doesn't matter how fast it gets there if it's in the wrong spot. So what I'm looking for, I've got some bellwether throws that I look for. I want to see how a quarterback throws a bubble screen or swing pass. That That's a tougher throw than a lot of people realize. The receiver's sort of running away from you as a quarterback, and you, but you still have to throw it firmly, and it's going to be a quick catch and throw as well. So, it, and it has to be at a specific spot, about a half yard in front of the receiver at numbers height, or you're going to see the receiver have to break stride, turn around, and all of this. If this throw looks routine, then that's a pass. This throw should look routine, even though it's a tougher throw. It's actually one of the tougher throws that quarterbacks have to make on the regular. If I see that and I see that regularly, then that's good. Uh, then the other things that I'm looking at are the corner route, which is where you see sort of a combination of touch and feel. And then the seam throw where you get to see sort of where what what his intuition is on, on some of that. I want to see some back shoulder type stuff. Can he fit that kind of ball there? And then some vertical routes. So... Can he make that bucket throw downfield? Does he have a have a sense of where a guy is body wise and all of that? So I'm looking at all of those things. Uh, and as a part of all that, 
the the subcategory of accuracy is hand talent. Can the guy change speeds, trajectories, arm slots based on requirements of the situation? So really mechanical throwers, they struggle here. So you're going to see really strong armed guys that are more mechanical that just don't have that. And, you know, the best quarterbacks are elite shooters. They can adjust their shot, play with feel, and, you know, they don't have to even see the basket. You know, it's that sort of thing. So those are things I'm looking for. And when I look at, at, at Brock Glenn, in general, he passes pretty much all of this stuff pretty well. I think he flashes very good deep touch on the verticals. He's an excellent vertical thrower. Uh, showed some ability to, to have some, some touch throwing on those type corner type routes that I look at. And in general, on that shorter stuff, those bubbles and all of that, he's he's accurate. So those are all those are all positives. Uh, and I think his demeanor in general is good. There are some things in terms of his mechanics that are not my favorite. He sometimes short arms throws much like Jordan Travis does. Uh, but he's also a good athlete and uh, and handles the pocket really well. I mean, I think he's unusually good in terms of handling the pocket and letting the letting the game uh keeping the game slow even when he's pressured unusually advanced for that as a as a high school prospect I think he really should be a four-star type player um I think he's also a very good fit for Norvell's offense Norvell's offense he really wants a guy who can make a lot of those vertical throws and and has the ability to throw some back shoulder stuff and you know fit the ball downfield and all of that and and I think Glenn brings all that to the table while still having some threat of being able to use his legs some. I like this I like this guy better than I did Chris Parson, who they had committed earlier in the process. Uh, Parson has a much stronger arm, but not nearly as good a quarterback prospect. So this is a good take. I, I, I like him. I think uh, the quarterback position is one where you just have to stack bodies and, and find out who's actually going to hit in your offense when he gets on campus and then let the other guys transfer uh, if, they, if they don't make it. But you've got to bring one guy in that's a quality arm every year, and they did that. So that's a pass. Give him a solid grade there. Now, as far as the running back position, they got Sam Singleton, uh, 5'11", 180 pounds. Runs a little bigger than that. Bottom line for me is two things. He, first of all, looks like a, a typical Mike Norvell running back when he's on the field. Sort of understands how to slide and then accelerate into space. And then has home run speed. I mean, 10 8, 10, eight, six in the hundred meter in the hundred meters as a sophomore in March, 2021. So, you know, that's a plus, uh, 22, four, 200 meters and a 25 long jump. All of those numbers, uh, I believe were as a sophomore. So you're looking at a really good athlete who can, who can run once he gets into the open field. I don't think he's an elite back just on my evaluation, but if there's one place where I'm just going to defer to Norvell, on evaluations, it's going to be running back. Uh, just don't doubt Norvell and his staff on running back evaluations. So they got the guy they wanted, aside from Baxter, who went to uh, to Texas, the other guy that they really wanted. But they got they got a guy that they, that they think fits with them. And like I said, I'm not going to doubt them on that. So moving on to the next one. And this is a wide receiver position. And this is a position that Florida State has struggled to, to recruit the high school ranks for, jeez, oh, well over a decade. Uh, it's been bad how Florida State, and we've talked about it on this on this show, how it's Florida State, man. You shouldn't have any problems recruiting wide receivers to Florida State. But they have. And this year, that is not the case. This year, they turned away guys that would have been the top guy in multiple 
classes over the last five, six, seven, eight years. And they landed some, some quality players. So I'm going to start with Goldie Lawrence, uh, six, six, two, 200 guy, 200 uh, pounds runs. He lists himself as a four, four, seven, uh, probably that's probably around accurate based on what I saw in film, uh, you know, low four, five, high four, four, four type guys. So good speed, not really ranked as highly. Uh, but when I flipped on the film, I, I liked him better than I expected. I'd seen some folks on social media wondering whether he really even should be a take given some of the other players that they were in on and all of this. And then I turned on the film and went, Oh yeah, I, I really like this guy. Uh, one of the things that sticks out, he is a true wide receiver. This is not a project. He He's a guy that will be able to come in and the learning curve for him at the position is going to be, is going to be smaller. It's going to be faster than most high school receivers coming in. This is, this is a true receiver who's coming in to play receiver, not just an athlete that you're going to have to coach. And another thing that sticks out is he is strong, very well-developed lower body through the core, uh, runs through tackles is going to be a quality big body player uh, on the outside. And the other thing, and this is one of the things that I really look for at the wide receiver position is smooth, easy acceleration. You want to, you want wide receivers, you want skilled players in general who run without laboring. You know, when he, you want to see it where when he stomps on the accelerator, it's like a sports car where there just doesn't seem to be any effort and he just accelerates. And he's one of those guys. He, he's not, as explosive as some, but there's no laboring to his run. And at the wide receiver position, you want to see very little head movement when the guy is, is is running because more head movement means you don't see the ball as well. When you're tracking it, you're going to drop more balls. He's one of those guys where he just runs smoothly and that's good. Uh, natural hands catcher. I, I didn't see, I don't think one body catch when I, when I looked at, uh, at, at what he did. And to me, he's he's got an NFL body type uh, at 6'2", 200. He'll probably end up about 205, 210 pounds. He's pretty well-developed already. But he, he reminds me a lot, actually, of the stereotypical LSU wide receiver in recent years. I mean, that's basically just what you're looking at is the kind of guys that LSU has been churning out going back, you know, a decade plus. He's one of those outside receivers who just looks like he was built in a lab to play you know, X receiver at the college and pro level and will fit as one of those outside receivers. To me, he's a better prospect, say, than Malik McLean was coming in uh, and and a guy that will be a contributor reasonably early in his career, even though it's a really crowded room now. Uh, he's a guy that, even though he's not an early enrollee, uh, I think by 2024 is a guy that is going to be in the rotation. Uh, I think he may redshirt this year, just because of how many bodies are in that room. But I, I think he's, he, this is a good take. I, I like him a lot, uh, like him a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, the next one is Vandrevius Jacobs, 6'1", 170. So 30 pounds lighter, an inch shorter than, than Lawrence, but a totally different player. Uh, you watch him and he is just twitchy, uh, really bursty, explosive player. Again, a guy who just accelerates without any effort, but He's he's a true sports car on there. And actually, I, the, the, he's he reminded me a little bit of sort of one of those typical, I mean, funny thing, this is Norvell, sort of those typical Memphis or or uh, 
group of five type wide receivers you see just torching power five programs with speed down the field. Uh, actually, some similarities even that that reminded me a little bit of Tutu Atwell at uh, at at Louisville in terms of just the acceleration at different points. He's a bigger player, more angular there, but that kind of uh, open field, like oh well, yeah, he's gone. That that sort of thing. Uh, actually, it also had some similarities just in how he moves and how he works as as an outside receiver. Uh, similarities to Pokey Wilson, but again, more more home run speed, more yak that you're going to get from him. And and again, another guy that I think is just a natural wide receiver. He's a hands catcher, already has a feel for space. He's got to get a lot more polished as a route runner in terms of being exact with his spots. But he does have a feel for space and just and and getting into open grass and all of that. And again, a hands catcher and explosive. Uh, I think he's probably going to settle in at the three spot in, in you know, in 2024, probably, uh, but and and may not be as much of a of a factor this year. I, I wonder how how much he may be a punt return option in the future as well. I think and I didn't see him do any of it on his film, but he's the kind of twitchy athlete that you wonder whether or not that's a, that's a possibility. Uh, he is an early enrollee, but again, it's a very crowded room. So I, I don't know how much you're going to see him this year, but I think in 2024, he's a guy that, that could make some noise. And then that of course brings you to really the crown jewel of this class. And that's Hakeem uh, Williams, 6'3", 200. And I don't have actual testing numbers on him, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> he is the best wide receiver prospect Florida state has landed in ages. I mean, you're looking at a guy with a watching him. It was like, oh, wow, that's a Julio Jones type player. That type of body or an Andre Johnson, one of those guys, huge mitts, just big hands. And you can see an an obvious basketball background on jump balls, really good feel for that sort of thing and is a great fit for what Mike Norvell wants from some of his outside receivers. Uh, easy acceleration and really rare long speed for a guy that's six three, two hundred plus, and is really strong. Uh, and then much more bendy and uh, mobile in his lower body than you normally get for a, a player of that size. Uh, very fluid, can change direction uh, and sink his hips. I think this guy's a first rounder if he stays healthy. And, and develops as you expect just an absolute monster on vertical routes. And in the screen game, he's a guy that's going to be able to get off the press against just about anybody. And the thing is he's an early enrollee and is going to have his chances to contribute immediately. And even in a very crowded room, he's going to walk in and have a chance to play. Now, do I expect him to start? I think the room's real crowded, maybe not as a starter, but is he going to be in the rotation? Yeah, he's going to have some roles because there aren't many guys like this and you make some space for him. So huge, huge get. I think all three of these guys within two years are going to be are going to be guys that can make a difference for you. These are not just these are not just a guy. These are all three of them are potential playmakers down the line. And those who've listened to this podcast for a long time may, may be wondering why I'm not assigning some of my uh, tiers to these guys. 
uh, in the past, I've done, you know, impact player, uh, potential difference maker, multi-year starter projections. You know, where do these guys fit ultimately all the way down to depth or, you know, shouldn't be a take. And I'm having to try to figure out how to revise those those tiers for this new era of the transfer portal, name, image, and likeness and all of that. But if I were going to assign those things, Hakeem Williams is an obvious impact player. So an instant impact type guy. Uh, I think uh, Jacobs and and Lawrence are both in the potential difference maker category. Glenn is a multi-year starter category. And then Singleton is again, a multi-year starter category for me in terms of, you know, my traditional tiers for that. So again, nobody is down in the, you know, depth or, you know, maybe maybe starts late in his career kind of situation. These are all these are all quality takes, all Florida State level players, essentially. Uh in any, you know, in any era. Uh so then you get to the tight end position. And this is where you get the two transfers. Number one, Jaheim Bell from uh from South Carolina. I got to watch South Carolina and when he was there, and he was the guy that stu- stood out on their offense. He was one of two or three guys that you looked at and you're like, man, he could play anywhere. That's an NFL guy. And for Mike Norvell's offense, he is an instant difference maker, a perfect utility player for what Mike Norvell likes to do. We talked about this during the season. We've talked about this since Norvell got hired. Norvell loves players that allow him to do a lot of a lot of formational stuff where he can line you up in the backfield, line you up on the line of scrimmage, line you up out wide, line you up in tight, doing all of that with some of the same personnel on the field because it causes headaches for defenses. Okay, so you're going to match up with bigger personnel. That means I'm going to spread you. Oh, you're going to go a little smaller, so I'm going to pound you. Well, this is what Bell allows you to do. 6'3", 231, and runs like a wide receiver. He's a dynamic player. They've not had a player like this at Florida State in a long time. A guy that that is going to allow Norvell to to some of the the tight end screens, H back screens, some of those things, some of the seam routes up the uh, up the up the field. You're going to see some big plays with Bell in this offense next year, and actually he's going to steal some some catches from some of the receivers and backs because of what a difference maker he is there. The other, of course, is Kyle Morlock, uh, listed at six seven. Pictures have me thinking he's closer to six five six six, but hey, whatever. Uh, very different kind of player at tight end. Uh, more of an in a traditional inline six six two fifty mauler. Uh, actually reminded me when I when I watched him a little bit. Reminded me of uh, Kasparowski, but a little more fluid downfield. Little little bit more uh, bang for the buck as a wide receiver because he 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 does move pretty well at that height. Moves like a basketball player there. But you bring him in basically to give you an a a, a blocker on the edge that allows you to seal that edge and do a lot of things in the running game. I, th- I think at 250, he actually looks a little under underdeveloped physically. You'd like him to get to like 260 and just more developed over the off season. And, and the fact that he's coming in as a, as a early enrollee, both of these guys are going to be on campus in spring. It gives you a chance to make sure that, that Morlock gets a good six, seven months of weight training to further develop as a as an edge guy as an as a uh, edge sealer and I think he gives you a lot in the running game the way that Porowski did uh, when when Jimbo Fisher was at Florida State 
when Porowski was was there at tight end, they were able to do some things in the running game in the in the in the outside zone and some of those things that you just can't do if you don't have a mauler, a masher on the edge. And Morlock is a guy that gives you, again, some flexibility to do a lot of those things. You put both of those guys on the field. You put six, seven Johnny Wilson on the field as well. And you got a ton of size. What they're doing is they're they're They are essentially Norvell is trying to build a bully here offensively to be able to really pound teams. And I think both of these guys make a lot of sense for that. Bell is, in my view, one of the best transfers and certainly one of the most instant impact transfers in the country uh, coming, coming in. And then Morlock again, gives you a really good fit for what you want to do at that tight end spot. They do make that tight end room all the more crowded. Uh, there's a few guys in there that are going to have to do a real long, hard look in the mirror on whether or not they're developing at the speed that they need to, to ever get on the field at Florida state. But in the interim, while those young guys are developing, these guys can, can take those reps. And, and again, they're pushing the chips to the middle to compete for it all in 2023. And these guys make you better for that. So offensively, a a pretty good class so far. And then we get into the offensive line room. And here again, Alex Atkins has made a huge difference. Uh, So looking at it, Lucas Simmons, 6'7", 300 pounds. And he's a guy that didn't play football right away. He, he, you know, soccer, handball, that sort of thing uh, internationally. And, you look at the tape and you go, okay, true, a legit, true left tackle prospect, super long wingspan, seven foot wingspan, uh, or close to seven foot wingspan. I think six ten wingspan, uh, excellent feet moves like a, like a soccer player on, on his feet. But you also see raw and sort of newish to the game. Uh, so going to be a guy that's going to need to develop a little bit. Ideally, he gets two years before he's really on the field, and, and, and you hope that he's your starter at left tackle in, say, 2025, somewhere in there. That's what you're recruiting for here. But I do think he's way further along than other, you know, raw, unfinished, bigger tackles with some potential like Lloyd Willis and Rod Orr that they took in recent years. Simmons is a guy that's going to be ready sooner than they would be and and has a much higher floor than those guys. But if this guy develops, you're looking at the kind of body that that NFL teams love at that left tackle spot, a true left tackle, and now you just got to develop him. Uh, the other guy that they picked up at the end there, Andre Otto, 6'5", 295. I'll be honest, when I put on the put on his his tape, or his, I guess it's not, when I put on his huddle, <laughs> when I put on his highlight thing, uh, <laughs> I, I, the first clip came on and I went, Oh, wow. I really, really like this guy. Andre Otto is one of my favorite players in this class. Just, yeah, so many things I like about this guy. Fluid movement with terrific power and fluidity to the second level. He plays with low pad level just naturally, despite being 6'5". Strong hips and core. And the the foot movement, the, the quickness in those low positions is just outstanding. This guy to me is close to a five-star in what I saw. You don't expect him to be a, a, an immediate contributor day one, but in terms of overall athletic potential and what I see as an offensive lineman, I love 
this guy. Andre Otto is really, really good. And he's also a guy you can tell loves to play football. He's out there and is having fun being nasty. And I will take that any day of the week. To me, I see an NFL interior offensive lineman here, maybe an NFL guard, but he does have the size and length to potentially play right tackle. Could even be, I think, really where I I would love to see him wind up is I think he could be a top-end center prospect if he can learn to snap. This is a guy that I think can play four of the five positions up front, and it's just a matter of where he slots in and where he fits best. But he's a super smart guy, with the bend and the overall foot quickness and ability to play low and anchor that I see from him, I see him as a top end. I'm talking about like all American center prospect. And I think he could be ready pretty early at guard. I mean, year two, he could be getting on the field in year two. Could be in the rotation, even, even at year two, he's got, he's got to get stronger. All that's there. But just in terms of the, the, the natural, bend and ability to anchor and, and, and get low and move and do all of the things that you look for there. He could be an earlier contributor than I think a lot of folks would expect. But to me, I think this is your starting center in 2025. So again, we'll see, but that's, that's my guess. And then you get to the three transfers, Keandre Jones, the transfer from, from uh, Auburn, 340 pounds. This is a huge dude. And I think he's a guy that needs to drop about 15 pounds really to be ideal. You want him playing at about 330, somewhere in there rather than, or say 325. 325 would sort of be his sweet spot. You know, you get him into that range where he's, he's cut up a little bit more. And I think, I think this is a guy that can make a difference for you on the field. Really reminds me a little bit of Jazz Turnitine, but with the, the chance to go through spring and, and to get in shape over the summer rather than Turnitine kind of coming in and having to kind of work himself into shape during the season and never quite got there was a really helpful contributor, but really more of a depth guy that ended up being forced into action. I think Jones is, is a similar kind of player who is an SEC replacement level player. So you'll take that as an addition to your program at, at any point, but once he's in a little bit better shape and really is comfortable in your offense, I think he's more than a replacement level player. I think he's a guy that could be an all ACC type player with the power and the pop that he brings. He just has to drop some of the weight and get refocused and really buy in to be able to do that. But I think he's, I think he's a starter, probable starter at guard and a guy that can become a masher, a mauler for you that makes you, you run behind this guy when you get into the, uh, into the goal line situations that they've been in where they've not been able to pound teams. Well, if he gets himself in shape over the summer and, and really gets where you want him to get, you can start him at guard and feel real comfortable. You're going to be able to mash people in the, in the short yardage situations. Uh, the other, the, the next one, Casey Roddick, uh, actually was a team captain out at Colorado. He's at six four three ten. He's more of a position blocker with, with quickness, really good feet. Uh, a little light in the butt uh, to me and could get a little stronger through the hips. Again, really glad that he's coming in in the offseason and gets a chance to get just a little bit more developed in that regard. Uh, I think there's a good chance that they try to get him starting at center. They're, they're going to give Maurice Smith some competition at center again. And I think I think Casey Roddick is a guy that if you have exactly what you want in terms of 
if if they're able to get exactly what they want in on the offensive line in in 2023, my guess is that Roddick at three six four three ten starts at center with Maurice Smith rotating in a little bit here and there, but Smith getting a, a, a chance to get again build up a little bit more strength and and be a backup this next year. Roddick sort of filling that, and then I think the third player that they got, Jeremiah Byers, six four three thirty ends up slotting in as the other guard. So Jones, Roddick, and Byers become your interior three. And you get a lot better right there. Now Byers, the the transfer from UTEP, he's he's the best of the three in terms of transfers. This guy is a dancing bear. Great feet on a wide body. He's got good but not great length. I mean, his arm length is more offensive guard arm length, I think. Um, but... He's a swing lineman. He can play. Look, he can be a plug and play right tackle for you and be immediately a lot better than what Turnitin was for you at the end of the year. Uh, I think he's an upgrade on Darius Washington as well. Uh, I think he's a plug and play starter. He could be a plug and play starter at right tackle. I think he's a more natural plug and play starter at guard. And if you have everything go perfectly. Well, I'll just say he's an upgrade wherever he wherever he's slotted in on this offensive line. He's going to be an upgrade over whoever he's replacing from last year, whether that's Gibbons, Emmanuel, or Turnitin. He's an upgrade over all three of those guys. But to me, the ideal offensive line that you that you're looking at for 2023 is you got Scott at left tackle, Byers say at I'm going to project him at left guard rather than right guard for now, Roddick at center, Jones at right guard. And then probably bless Harris at right tackle right now, but it'll be interesting to see if they add a true top end tackle from the from the, the the portal as well. Look, bless Harris if he's healthy, I think can be that right tackle that they wanted him to be, that they expected him to be when they when they signed him. But you know, if they're not fully convinced that that he's going to be healthy, then you bring in somebody else. And actually, Florida just had one of their right tackles hit the hit the uh, the portal. And, you know, he's a guy that is good enough that I think you kick the tires on him for sure. And he would probably come in and start for you at right tackle as well. So you get those four, at least from left tackle to right guard. And then that right tackle becomes the spot where you got to figure out what your best option is. And if that's buyers there, then you, you fill the, the left guard in another way and you've got other options on the team. But ideally, those are your those are your four from left tackle to right guard. And then again, Bless Harris could be that guy, and he's good enough athletically to be that guy. If he isn't that, if he's not going to be that guy, then you've got some other options, and maybe you go to the portal and get one more plug and play instant starter at that right tackle spot, who's a true tackle. And at that point, you're in you're in position. But you're looking at this point with this group of offensive linemen. I think that the room has been completely flipped. I think now with this group, you've gone from a a unit that in 20, 2018 might have been the worst power five offensive line in the country to if they're able to start Scott Byers, Roddick, Jones, and then say bless Harris or whoever fits that right tackle spot. This may well be the best offensive line in the ACC and, and one of the best in the country. That group can can compete with anybody. And athletically, they they they're good enough that 
even against the best defensive lines in the country, they're going to be able to hold their own. And then you add the the playmakers, you add Johnny Wilson and Jaheim Bell and uh, some of the other talent that they've got, and then Trey Benson running behind it. That's scary. Jordan Travis at, at quarterback, not having to do a whole lot of running except when he needs to. That's that that that's looking real good. That's looking really, really good. Now, of course, I've gotten a lot of questions about, well, what about Julian Armella? You know, could he be the starter at right tackle? And I'm not going to rule it out, but, and this is something I'll talk a little bit more about as we get into the, into the spring and all of this. But I, from what I saw of Armella this year, Armella needs another year of development. I don't want to see Armella starting this year because that means that something is not, either he's taken a much bigger step forward than I expect, or something somebody's gotten hurt he's a really really good prospect armel is a good prospect but he's still raw still has a long way to go in terms of development i think he's a year away and i also you know i'm curious to see where he's going to wind up in terms of his final position and the same goes for jalen early I i liked him a lot when i saw him but you don't want him playing a bunch this year. You want those guys, well, you want them playing a bunch, but you want them playing a bunch in the fourth quarter of games because those games are out of hand. And I think that's one of the things that now that you've built what you've built, the good thing is that some of these players who might be upset because they're not in the in the lineup, they're not playing as much. If they're still playing a quarter a game, they're happier just because, again, they're getting developed and they're getting on the field. That's the thing about being a really good program is even your backups end up being happier because you're winning and they're getting to play and they're getting to play a lot. Bad teams where only the starters play wind up being more discontented. So what I'm seeing here is I'm seeing you've got right now seven guys on the offensive line that are ACC starter level players. So not just replacement level but these are guys that would probably start virtually anywhere else in the conference that's robert scott jeremiah byers casey roddick keandre jones bless harris maurice smith and darius washington seven guys and that's seven guys with starting experience with pretty mature bodies now harris has to get get healthy again and guys that can that can play multiple positions in certain cases that's that's pretty good. Now you pair that with a developing Julian Armella, with Bryson Estes, who they're they're happy with at, at guard, strong guy who can who's continuing to develop, with Jalen Early, with Kaniah Charlton, Quayshon Sapp, some of these younger guys that are gonna be good depth. Thomas Schrader, if he ever gets healthy. These are younger guys that that are good depth. You could have, going into next year, as many as, say, 10 or 11 players that you can count on if they are pressed into duty. So 10 or 11 players that are ACC-level, at least replacement-level players on the offensive line. That goes a long way towards minimizing the delta for how good or bad you can be. That, okay, well, you know, we're a little banged up there, but but that guy's going to step in and he's going to be good enough. You got multiple options there. I think you feel much better if you can add one more. If you can add, if if the space opens and you can add one 
more tackle type prospect that you really believe in, you got to strongly consider it because that puts you at, I think, 10 guys going into next year that you're confident in. And again, you could have as many as 10 or 11 now, might even have as many as 12 coming out of spring, depending on how some guys develop. But the other thing that that does is that helps you in terms of developing your second team skill guys, because when they're in scrimmage situations, the quarterback's not just getting sacked every time he goes back, he drops the pass. Running backs aren't just getting hit as soon as they get the ball, that sort of thing. And then it also helps you develop on the defensive line because you're getting competition in practice. This makes you better. That kind of depth on the offensive line makes you better. And it makes you better on both sides of the ball and it makes you better across the board on offense. So all told, I think this offensive recruiting class is is really excellent. I I I, I liked every take they, they 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 got. You know, I I wasn't sure based on on uh rankings and all of that a couple of these guys i mean i i got i saw the rankings and i was like oh well you know I'll, I'll be interested to see if he's you know just a take no 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 you know goldie lawrence is the lowest ranked of the wide receivers and i really like him you know of these guys you know sam singleton is probably the guy that i'm i'm maybe least excited about but that's the thing you're talking about a 10 8 100 meters who is a Mike Norvell and staff evaluation at running back. If that's the guy you're least excited about coming in, you got a really good class. So I think this is, I don't care about the rankings or whatever on, in terms of that, this is a good class that fills the needs for, of what Florida state needs moving forward and does so with guys that fit their system and are strong developmental prospects with very high floors. These are all high floor, high ceiling guys. And, you know, go down the list. Which of these guys has a low floor? There's not one of them. Which of these guys has a low ceiling? You know, there, there's not many of those guys. So I, I think this is a really good uh, uh, offensive recruiting class. I'll, I'll come back. I'll post within the next couple of days a, an evaluation on the defensive side. But this, this is exactly the kind of class that you need to transition into the elite level recruiting that I think you can start to do in 2024 to sort of set the foundation for what you're going to be as a program moving forward under Mike Norvell. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.